0: Welcome to Breaking Brave, I'm your host Marilyn Barefoot, and I wanted to mention that if you would like to connect with me directly, you can always do so at MarilynBarefoot.com or BreakingBrave.show. I see and answer every single contact personally, and I would truly love to hear from you. Welcome to Breaking Brave, I'm your host Marilyn Barefoot, Amal Masri is a Toronto-based executive and the creator of the social enterprise Fix the Broken Rung. Amal grew up in Saudi Arabia and remembers clearly how challenging it was to navigate her early career in Canada as a quote-unquote triple outsider, a woman, a person of colour, and an immigrant. Studies show that racialized women are more educated and ambitious compared to other women, Yet, only 63 of them advanced management positions for every 100 white women who are promoted. This is just one of the many statistics that is the driving force behind why Amal trains middle managers and company leaders on how to be more supportive of racialized immigrant women. Please welcome the very brave Amal Masri. I am so very, very excited to welcome Amal Masri to Breaking Brave. Amal is based in Toronto. She's an executive and a creator of the social enterprise called Fix the Broken Rung. And so much more. So welcome Amal to Breaking Brave.
1: Thank you for having me, Marilyn. I am so excited to be here.
0: Well, it's my my pleasure and my delight. You have recently been a focus of the Globe and Mail. In fact, August 18th, the Globe and Mail wrote a fairly substantial article about your organization, Fix the Broken Rung. But I would love you to start because we do have people listening all over the world. So they might know where Toronto is, but let's have you provide an explanation as to what is this social enterprise, Fix the Broken Rung all about.
1: So the broken rung refers to that first step up from entry level to manager, where we see a lot of racialized women dropping off the career ladder. So in Canada, the rate of promotion is very slow for racialized women at that level, which means that it also impacts their career progression as they go further up that ladder. So this organization was created to address that, to effectively fix the broken rung, And we do it in two ways. We run a career accelerator for young racialized women to help them get that promotion and to become a manager. And we also work with companies and we help train leadership teams. So they get really good at developing talent in an inclusive way.
0: Beautiful. Now, Amal, for you personally, I I love stories. I love storytelling. So why is this a mission for you specifically in terms of recognizing this need and filling this big need in Canada and likely around the world when you get big enough to do it around the world?
1: Yeah. So I am a racialized immigrant woman. And it's funny because that first promotion or that career stage, when I was trying to climb for entry level to manager, was definitely the hardest for me. And when I learned about this research, uh, because we really didn't have this information about racialized women until 2020, reading that and understanding that concept of the broken rung made a lot of sense to me. But I also felt accountable, really accountable to creating a solution because I have been fortunate to get to the level that I've gotten to in my career. And I've been lucky to have better experiences than most in order to achieve that success. So I saw it as my responsibility to do everything I could to make the pathway easier for the next generation and to also not just increase the promotion rate, but to change the actual experience of what it means to advance in your career for racialized immigrant women, because so often that experience is accompanied with burnout and with mental health challenges because of the barriers that we face.
0: Absolutely. In terms of reading about you, Amal, you grew up in Saudi Arabia, and you move to Canada at age 14, you describe yourself within your early career in Canada as a triple outsider, a woman, a person of color, and an immigrant. You're dealing with so much. I mean, not just a woman, not just a person of color, but also an immigrant. How did you experience that when you were first starting out in your career in Canada?
1: I would say that it actually started from the minute I was born, so far before my career, meaning that I was born in Saudi Arabia where there was a lot of messaging on what you could do as a woman. And there was a lot of accepted assumptions on gender roles. So I grew up with a lot of that messaging and I was really excited to go to Canada because I felt that this was going to be a country where I didn't have that barrier. I wasn't going to have to deal with that. And now I know that that was naive, but that was the feeling that Canada has this international reputation as being a beacon of, well, essentially being multicultural, being a mosaic of diversity. But then when I got to Canada, that's when I became racialized. And it's a process. It's a, racialization is a process of understanding that you are an outsider in another sense. Obviously, the gender bias still existed here too. And then there were just the experience or the features of being an immigrant of not having the same networks in this country. For example, when you go to university or when you get your first job in corporate Canada... There's no one organically in your network necessarily who has that experience, who will coach you. So I felt that there were so many things that I didn't know that I didn't know. Hmm. So for example, I knew I had to network and I knew I had to do certain things to advance my career, but there's also a tremendous amount of blind spots that I only discovered later through trial and error. So to sum up your question on the triple outsider, you know, there are layers and it's not so much that these layers are additive, like it's one plus one plus one equals three. I'd say it's more, it compounds in an exponential way to create a very unique experience for women like me. And it's a process.
0: Is it a process of like a zillion paper cuts to your soul when you say it's a process. It's no one thing that happens. It's a series of maybe tiny, maybe large, maybe a combination of things that just hit your soul, that hurt you. Is, is that what I'm understanding correctly to be the process of becoming racialized?
1: That's really astute because that's what it felt like. And You know, there were some instances where it was more overt, but a lot of times it was the very minor, covert, small things that added up, like you said, this death by a thousand paper cuts, where you're not even aware sometimes it's happening, but maybe you realize that your self-concept has changed and you can't quite put your finger on it. So I'll give you an example. One of my very early experiences in the workplace I had a senior person in the company I worked in. (laughs) I can't believe he really did this in retrospect, but asked me what religion I was. (laughs) And um, he was senior. And I felt, you know, when you're very young and you're you're very junior, I wanted to build a positive relationship with him. So I told him, I said that I'm Muslim. And then he went on this rant of, you know, the problem with Muslims is they don't let their women work. And it was this very anti-Muslim rant with a lot of stereotypes and misconceptions on what it meant to be Muslim, but also seemed to lack complete awareness that he was very much talking to a Muslim woman who was working yeah, like, hello.
0: How the hell did that <laughs> feel? It's ignorant on so many levels, obviously, because mm-hmm. you're standing there working for this individual. So, yeah, guess what? Here I am. I'm female and I'm working. But the broad strokes assumptions that were being made by throughout the rant, how did that make you feel them
1: all? You know, I'm unpacking this now a lot like as we're talking. And the best way I could describe it is that it was objectifying. And especially because I'm talking to you, Marilyn, you're mm-hmm. a woman. Mm-hmm. You know what it feels like to be objectified. Oh, yeah. So it was feeling like you're not a full human being seen for everything that you are. It's you're being seen for this one marker of your identity. And that is beca- that is the thing to describe you instead of the full complexity of who you are As a human, I don't, at that time, I really wasn't thinking of myself with a lot of labels, but it was people's responses or different experiences that made me aware of those labels or how some people might perceive me and the boxes that they might put me in as a result of it. So in terms of just the emotion of how it made me feel, if I'm going to be really honest, a lot of what I did was I compartmentalized a lot. So at that moment, I just felt there was shock and then there was numb because there's this idea that you can't control it and you can't change it, especially when you have so little power. There is no use at that point to dwell on it. So put it in a box, push it to the back of your mind and focus on everything you have control over, which is doing the best work you can do and hoping that you'll be seen for something beyond that label.
0: You have been in existence with Fix the Broken Rung for how long, Amal? How long has this social enterprise been in existence? A little over a year. What has the response to this been by racialized immigrant women who are out there fighting a similar or dissimilar, depending on their situation, fight fight? How has this been, this concept been received?
1: I would say that the number one response I get is thank you for seeing me, for making me feel seen, because a lot of our experience has been very invisible. Because when we go into gender equity spaces, the focus is oftentimes on white women's experiences because it's the majority. And when we go into racial equity spaces, a lot of times it can shift to be about men. And in a way, you belong in both places, but you also belong nowhere. Mm. And then when you layer on top of that, the complexities of being an immigrant, a lot of your experiences are very invisible. But the, the most challenging part is that they're actually invisible to you. You're not realizing that I'm actually not the only one who's going through this. Because like I said, a lot of that discrimination, those little paper cuts, it's it's very covert. And what one woman said to me is, when I realized that it wasn't me, it was a system, I stopped beating myself up.
0: Yeah, because you think, I mean, I assume, and and based on the research that I've done about your incredible organization, people make the assumption, what's wrong with me? It must be something wrong with me. Therefore, the spiral starts to happen. And I've got written up here that many newcomers to Canada define themselves through a lot of the education and the achievements and the success that they have received. And like for you, Amal, Columbia University, McGill University, Harvard University. I mean, you've got incredible credentials as do most of the immigrants coming in racialized women. And and there's a definition of self-worth if you will that often is tied to I have all these amazing credentials yet yet all of a sudden the self-worth is just being stomped on.
1: Yeah, and it's this feeling of it's not enough. It's not enough. I have all of these credentials and I have all of these achievements and I went to an Ivy League. And in some cases with some people, it is never going to be enough. And that is really challenging because I would say in terms of an immigrant, if you think of the the people who immigrate to Canada, you said that, you know, very highly educated to even be admitted in this country for the most part. But on top of that, in order to make that sacrifice, to leave everything you've ever known behind and to move halfway across the world, you're really prioritizing your career achievement. That's why most people are doing it. It's to have a better life for them and their families. So what you achieve in your career becomes a very big part of that self-identity pie. And when you hit barriers in that achievement, it's very impactful in a way where if you hadn't made that many sacrifices, it might not hurt that much. And there's also a sense for me where I'll speak to myself personally, but I know that this is a story for a lot of women. It's the realization that in my family, and when we look at the different generations, no woman has had as much opportunity as I now have And it's feeling gratitude for that, but with with that gratitude is then I need to demonstrate what I've done with that opportunity and what I've achieved. So there's that feeling, and then it's compounded with what I just mentioned of feeling that we need to build our objective achievements to prove that we are so good that we become undeniable, because otherwise... We're going to be denied. I have a statistic.
0: You know these like the back of your hand, but for me, this was all very eye opening. In the greater Toronto area, 1% of corporate executives are racialized immigrant women, despite the fact that they make up 17% of the city's population. And those are dated numbers. So I don't. I don't know if they're getting better or if they're getting worse, but just as a a statistic, that's terrifying. And that most immigrant women, as we just talked about, are more educated and more ambitious. 63 of them advance to management positions for every 100 white women who are promoted. How did women start to find you, gravitate to you, help you to create the communities that are mentoring them and helping them to network and do all the things that they they struggle to do when they weren't born in this country?
1: I'd say it started when I was willing to speak out on these issues, because if you're the only one in the, speaking out on them. And also, if you're like the only person of your background in certain spaces, it can feel incredibly scary to be the one to start that conversation. But I realized in order to build that community, I had to do that. So a primary way I did that is through LinkedIn and through posting and through starting those conversations. It was a very deliberate strategy to build that community And to find the women who had experienced the same things to educate as well on this situation because they might be going through those things but not realize that, like I mentioned before, it's part of a a broader experience. And to start building those relationships and to start building a community and a movement around this cause So like, for example, when I post, I will intentionally try to say the things I feel that aren't being said because so many times young women will reach out to me and say, I can't believe you had the courage to say that and to say it so boldly. I don't feel I could ever say that. And they'll do it in my DMs because they don't feel confident or empowered to doing that and where they are. Um, So that is where that community building started. uh, And also through my network that I've developed through my career, through the friends I've made. um, And it's funny, it's also the people who really sponsored my career and mentored me were often the first to support this. And to support me in doing this. And I think there's something really beautiful in the fact that, in a way, there are grand sponsors. Because they sponsored me. And they sponsored my ability to get to a place where I'm able to create something like this. But also to reach so many other women as well.
0: Thank God for those people. And maybe I can't ask this question. But... When you talk about you said something or posted something on LinkedIn and somebody would reach out and say on your DM, I couldn't actually believe that you said that, can you give me an example of that? I'm assuming it's out there in the big world if you've put it on LinkedIn, but but like what? Because as soon as you said that, I'm sure people are hanging on their seats going, okay, what does she actually mean when she says that?
1: A conversation I was really scared to raise is a conversation around white feminism. Okay. And it's looking at when we talk about gender equity, it's really important to also be anti-racist in that work in order for it to be effective. And it felt incredibly scary to talk about that because it feels in a way that you're disrupting the sisterhood and it's already so hard for women already, then why be disruptive? But in order for this to drive change, in order for us to find allyship with white women, we also have to be very honest about what is and what isn't working. Mm -hmm. So being able to articulate that was really important and it was important also in building up our allies because that meant that the white women who came around this cause to support it also really got it and really got what it meant to be truly intersectional. But I also had women reach out to say, you know, I feel this is bit very anti women I don't know why you're attacking white women this way. It is just as hard for me. And to just say, like, you're describing this as if it's just you or just this group, but it's just as hard for us. So those are some of the conversations I've started where I feel that it has really highlighted some issues that a lot of racialized women endured, but didn't really feel that they could speak out loud because of the response that they might get.
0: I understand. And look at the response that you got when you brought it up. So yeah, absolutely. I totally understand. Yeah.
1: And I'd say that it doesn't take a lot to, if you're working in in a space where you're trying to advance underrepresented people, it also doesn't take a lot for people to try to shut you down, to have a problem with it. And to just consistently be visible with that message is important because it makes others feel that they can either say it, or at least there's people who understand them. And so, and I think a really good example to illustrate why it's really important to speak up on these topics, but also why it can be so hard, is some of the comments that that Globe and Mail article that profiled the Fix the Broken Wrong receipt, because they're comments that I have received in person, online, on LinkedIn, and I just start reading some of them here. So one person said, I reject any human, male or female, who is fixated on race. I also directed HR to do the same. They crafted clever questions to smoke these ones out. What? So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so what the hell does that mean? You'll get people who will say that just by speaking out on racism or racial equity, that you're obsessed with race or you're making everything about race. Okay. And I've actually like received that message working with companies is like, do you really have to hit on the racism so much? Or why can't this be just more general? Just talk about underrepresented groups because there are people who don't want to have that conversation and want to drive that conversation underground. So it's people being very offended that, this conversation is being had at all, or the response where, well, you know, I still had it really hard, or I still had challenges to face. And then there's another comment here. Well, this issue is common to all women. Why is everything about race so tired of the constant complaints from this community? And again, these aren't just random online trolls. I've had these comments given to me in person from, different, um, in different spaces. And I've also heard them throughout my career because if we think about the history of diversity, equity, and inclusion, the number one benefactors have been white women. And although there's a lot of ground to cover and um, there's tremendous discrimination that women of all backgrounds face I've also been in gender equity spaces, corporate gender equity spaces, where the conversation about race is either silenced or compartmentalized, or it's treated as a subcategory, instead of using a truly intersectional lens that considers that experience. So that conversation and bringing up that conversation, it may not feel at all radical to some, but depending on where you are, it can be pretty radical. And a lot of the ways I was able to build the community is having the difficult conversations and doing it publicly.
0: Good for you. I'm shocked. Obviously, I didn't read all the comments. How do you respond? I I mean, if somebody comes up to you after a keynote because you've been invited to speak at a conference, for example, and throws something at you like this, like, You know, I'm so sick of it always being about race. That's a very difficult situation to
1: face. What do you say? I stay very calm. I'm also very empathetic and very friendly with the conversations. And I'll speak to them where they are and do my best to try to educate as much as I can. Or at least I did a lot of that in the beginning, but now where I am in my evolution and my understanding, is to focus on the people who want to help and want to create equity, but don't necessarily know how. Because if I'm spending my energy on people who just don't want to see it, or are committed to not seeing it, or where it'll take a lot of time and energy to educate them, That's resources and time and energy I could be using on people who actually want to change and where it can actually create an impact. So these days, I try to avoid those conversations as much as I can and focus on the people that want to make a difference, that want to create a more inclusive future for everyone.
0: Excellent. And that makes total sense on a very calm rational, intellectual level, you're 100% correct. But it's hard, I got to believe, it's hard to be faced with those kinds of reactions. Amal, can we talk a little bit about jump the broken rung? So what is jump the broken rung? I believe, if I'm right, you just launched jump the broken rung in May of this year. Can you talk to us about what is that? How does it work? How could people maybe get involved in that if they're interested in it?
1: Yeah, So Jump the Rung is a career accelerator for young racialized and immigrant women who want to step up from entry level to manager. And one of the reasons it's so unique is this isn't This doesn't take the approach of many career accelerators in that we're not telling people how to update your LinkedIn profile or what to do with your resume. We're focusing exclusively on power and influence. So how to understand and navigate power dynamics within your organization and how to build your influence and also your social capital. So what we do in this accelerator is we focus on being able to think like a senior leader. And we bring in senior leaders to speak to our students to help them understand the business from their perspective. And that interaction and also the content of those conversations creates a dramatic transformation because overall, racialized women do not have the opportunity to interact with senior leaders typically. And This exposure gives them an opportunity to understand their organization and business at a different level. But when we bring in also racialized women who are senior leaders to have a conversation, it creates this feeling of, oh, there's someone who's more similar to me who's doing it. And if she's doing it, and when she was my age, she was standing in my shoes and she was having the same struggles, but yet she's been able to achieve all those things and get where she's gotten... That is really important in shifting identity and in motivating and inspiring our students to see it is possible for me and I can do it. And not only can I do it, I can probably do it faster and better than the people helping me because they're actually giving me the playbook of how they've gotten to the point that they have in their career. We had 12 women in this accelerator and... Since the program ended, which was about a couple of months ago, two of them have already been promoted through strategies that they learned because it's so important to teach the culture of business and the invisible rules, especially to immigrants and and racialized women who, like I alluded to before, might not have access to that mentorship or that knowledge within their organic networks. So how do you take that, package it into a program and deliver that content in a way where they can take it and immediately apply it to their careers. So we've seen a lot of success with both promotions, but also women telling us that it built their confidence and reduced their burnout because they now have a community where they can be themselves and where they can talk about issues where, that they can't talk about in other spaces. And that lifts the burden of, and the loneliness sometimes of, of this experience. Beautiful. It's a
0: seven-week part-time program. Are you thinking about doing another one anytime soon? Definitely.
1: (laughs) I can tell you that I would be in trouble with the graduates of the first one if I didn't because they are evangelical (laughs) about the need for it and um, wanting to tell as many of their friends as possibly as they can because of the impact it's had. We don't have timing right now, but we have a wait list that you can sign up for. But the experience of that program, it changed me as a person.
0: I bet it did. How did it change you, Amal? I mean, what did you sort of pre and post notice within yourself around, around this?
1: I'm going to try to describe it without crying. <laughs> <'Cause>
0: you can <laughs> cry. It, it, We've had lots of guests cry because you get into emotional discussion and that's what it is. And it's okay. So if you cry, you cry. It's all right. <laughs>
1: I'll just tell you some of the things I heard in our final session when we asked the woman, how has your life changed? So not just your career, your understanding, your confidence, how has your life changed in these seven weeks? Who were you before and who are you now after? And what one woman said is that now she will never let anyone speak to her in a way that would be unacceptable and jump the wrong. And she also said that if she can't imagine me letting someone speak to me in a certain way or to tell me that I should smile more or that I'm too professional or the microaggressions I shared before, then she wasn't going to let anyone do the same thing to her. So what Jump the wrong did is that it was able to show these women early in their career what good looks like in terms of an inclusive culture, how they should expect to be treated And they can then take that bar and they can carry that standard with them through the rest of their careers. Another woman said that because of the program and the conversations she's able to have with her manager, who's a white man, he said, volunteered, he wanted to be her sponsor and he wanted to be her advocate and he wanted to help her. And that's the stuff that makes me cry because there's so many people that want to help. There are so many straight white men who really want to help, but sometimes the tactics in front of them aren't clear or the pathway isn't clear. And it was also extra empowering for her because she got to drive that. She was able to manage up and influence that outcome in her leader. And in terms of training her to rise in the ranks, you have to be able to influence and bandage up. So in getting that support itself, it was also training her for that next level. Another woman said that she was, actually many women said that they felt a lot of burnout And even though the program added on hours of extra work in their week and some of them were staying up till midnight, I I don't advise this, but some of them told me they were doing it because they were so dang energized to do the work because they felt seen and they felt understood, but they also felt like there was a solution made specifically for them. We jumped the rung. We're not just building a table and giving them a seat at it. We're saying that This seat was specifically designed for you and no one belongs here more than you. And we're doing it not to create this isolated silo where they can feel that way, but because that trains them and teaches them what to expect and what kind of cultures to look for as well. And the fact that it helped women reduce burnout because it increased their sense of purpose, a lot of them felt empowered to help others like them, to mentor them, to sponsor them, to share what they've learned. And, you know, expression we use a lot is leaders create other leaders. So if you want to become a leader or to um, continue to advance as a leader, then see where you can empower others and where you can help others, because it's by giving that you're going to get the most in your career.
0: Not to mention the incredible family that I'm sure you've created in in this first jump the rung. I apologized. Originally I called it jump the broken rung. It's jump the rung. These women, these 12 women, they'll be friends forever. <sighs> whatever they go, whatever they do. I, I gotta believe it's like we're gonna get together again and again and again. Course, no course, but 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 there's coffee or there's whatever happening. Because of the energy that I could feel coming off of you just talking about it, they must have felt exactly that within that circle, if you will, and that will transfer to others, will transfer to others, will transfer to others. So it's, it's such a bright, beautiful light that you've created that's starting to radiate out. That's the way it feels to me.
1: That was very much the intent. I don't just want them to climb the ladder. I want them to do it with joy. I want it to be easier. I want them to do it in a way that is sustainable and, and healthy and where they're having fun. I want to end this narrative that we, as women of color, we have to work twice as hard to get half as much. No, that's not that's not happening for the next generation. Like, Or at least I will do everything in my power to stop that because I want to write a different story of who we are. And in terms of this community they've built, one of the big inspirations for it was I heard Michelle Obama speak about the importance of having your kitchen table of friends. So that's this table of friends where it's a space that's not quite personal and not quite professional. It's a third space where you can go and be completely raw and kind of share what you're going through. then you have this group of problem solvers solvers, who are on your side and who are cheering you on, who are going to help you get through whatever challenge that you're enduring, but also not judge you for being raw or talking about those experiences. It's that full acceptance that builds up your strength and power to then go back to whatever company you're at and perform at your highest level because you have that outlet and that support and that that feeling that like, I'm not just walking into this room by myself. I'm walking into it with like 11 other women, at least in spirit.
0: Yeah. There's a community with you at all times, soulfully in your soul, in your heart, in your mind. They're still there with you when you're having some of those conversations. Yeah. Uh, So Amal, let's talk about your keynote speaking. Obviously you're incredibly articulate how do people find out about you? Do people want you to come to their conferences and talk about this? Or is that like, oh God, everyone's going to squirm in their seat because we're having those uncomfortable conversations, which we said we're going to have, but actually we don't really want to have them, right?
1: No, I'm finding a lot of people are reaching out because it's also, the way I do it is I just want to, I just want to have fun, Marilyn like, I want to have fun. And as a speaker, I want my audience to have fun. I want them to feel joy and I want them to feel inspired and energized because that's what creates action. It's not about making people sad. It's important to lay out the facts and to be truthful and to disrupt sometimes the status quo. But I also want to leave them with this feeling where they feel empowered to make the difference and also that they have actual tools to do that. And when you look at inclusion overall, anyone who participates in it, it's incredibly rewarding. It's not just something to do because it's the right thing to do or the good thing to do. You're effectively getting better at building relationships with people who are different than you. And you are uncovering pieces of your own humanity in doing so. I find that when I talk to people and when companies talk to me, yeah, they get this energy that I have. And I think that the spirit of what I do is I, I want to make it feel like a party that everyone goes to, but also with driving serious, meaningful change.
0: The leadership training that you do. So is this like one-on-one where if you've got a, a president or a CEO or a group of board directors, board members to say, we really do want to change. We really want to do the right thing. We really want to embrace this, but we have absolutely no idea how. So is there a service or something that you can offer to say, yeah, I can come in or we can come in and we can offer some kind of training at that level if they're if they're hungry for this information?
1: Yeah, we offer trainings that focus specifically on inclusive talent development. And how to diversify your full pipeline, because a lot of times we find that there's a focus on the senior levels, which is important, but to make that sustainable, you have to focus on the early to mid pipeline as well. So we offer trainings and it's very important in our work to really tailor it to the organization and their business objectives and their priorities and their culture, because in order for it to be sustainable, it has to fit in with that specific company. It can't be cookie cutter. So yes, we offer trainings and workshops and we work with leaders at all levels.
0: Excellent. It's not at all similar, but it's similar in this sense to, oh, we're going to run off and and hire a chief innovation officer. Checkbox, we're now an innovative company. So we're going to run off and hire a chief diversity and inclusion officer, Checkbox. We're now a diverse and inclusive company. Checking the box is not living this, is not doing anything, is not creating change. But somehow people feel like, okay, well, we did that so how can now amal people interested how can women get in touch with you get their names on this wait list for the next uh, group of jump the rung opportunities how can people reach out to you to ask you to be a speaker ask you to train them where are all the wonderful places in the world linkedin and social that they could get to you and and speak to you
1: so our website is com, and that has our waitlist for Jump the Rung and it also has contact info for keynotes or trainings as well. I'm also typically pretty accessible through LinkedIn if people want to reach out to me as well. Um, and we have a LinkedIn company page, but the best spot is our uh, our our website. And I would also say that if people are interested, but, you know, just want to learn more at this point to also sign up for our newsletter as well.
0: Excellent. And are you looking for mentors, senior leaders? Can people reach out to you in that regard when you get your next jump the rung program going that they might be able to help in some way?
1: Absolutely. If senior leaders are interested in being involved, I would love to hear from you. And it's an opportunity to, to really influence the career trajectory of some incredibly ambitious and brilliant and powerful young leaders.
0: Excellent. I would just like to to do a couple things before we, we wrap up. The research that has just come out. Can you talk to us about that research? Was it in and around the same time that your Globe and Mail article happened? I think the mm-hmm. research happened. So, first of all, name the research, and if people want it or want a copy of it, it, is it okay if they reach out to you because it's it's incredibly rich information. So, let's not leave this podcast without talking about that incredible research that you've got, you've just completed.
1: Thank you. Uh, Yeah, we've invested a lot into that research, and it's actually right on our homepage. So Jump the Rung and the support, they're right on our homepage and can be accessed that way. It's the very first qualitative study of the broken rung in Canada, and it gave us a very vivid portrait of what's happening and what the pain points are. And I think what really made this study rich is we spoke to middle managers because we wanted to understand the other side of it, which is middle managers are the leaders who are most responsible for promotion decisions at the entry level. How much do middle managers know about the broken wrong? How much do they know about the experiences of this group? Turns out not a lot, but at the same time, there's a tremendous amount of willingness and openness to do that, but they just haven't had the opportunity because DI initiatives will often invest a whole lot in um, educating senior leaders, but not necessarily in that middle of the organization. It's really important to have programs that are dedicated for this group. And that was actually part of our motivation for creating Jump the Rung is that being very specific in our approach allowed us to be more effective. And finally, it's important to understand how social capital works in your organization. And that's just a fancy way of saying how people build informal networks. Because most of the time, it's often the people who are most similar to senior leaders who are building relationships with them. So if you have a senior leadership team that's mostly white men, guess who they're most likely to have a relationship with? It's the young white men in their organization. So it takes data and also focus to create new patterns of how these informal professional networks are built, which ultimately are much more influential in creating more diverse representation than sometimes more formal programs you can institute all the programs in the world, but if you're not changing how relationships are built across power gradients in your organization, you're fundamentally not changing the culture.
0: Absolutely. And I have a quote that I actually printed off from it, which you've just spoken to. The most startling insight of our study was that both racialized immigrant women and their managers were often unaware of the degree of difficulty Experienced by this group. So aha moment <laughs> with capital letters. Wow.
1: Yeah. So when that emerged in the data, it was one of those realizations where you're like, both sides don't know what they don't know. Yeah. Because when I talk to managers, they have this conceptual understanding of like DEI and how it works. But I started talking to them about their team. They'd kind of be like, you know, like, I really want to promote her, but she's like showing up in this way and her responses are like in this way. But if you talk to the racialized immigrant women, those responses or the way that they're showing up is often in reaction to microaggressions or exclusion or things that they faced in their career. So it's really critical to bring both groups together and to help them perspective shift. Because I gave you that example of the woman who was able to have conversations with her white male managers as a result of Jump the Rung. It was also as a result of reading the research because she's just like, you know what, I realized he actually has no idea what's going on and he might not be picking up at all on like what I'm going through. So when he sees me withdrawing from the team, he doesn't know it's because of these experiences. And at the same time, I've had leaders say, oh, I had no idea. Like, I had no idea. And now I can go in and I can have much more empathetic and focused conversations, but also help them with their development in a way that's more relevant and more meaningful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) What does bravery mean to you, Amal? Just go with the first thing that comes into your brain.
1: It would be... Doing the right thing, even if the outcome is uncertain, because it's worth it. Because it's inherently worth it to just do it. Excellent. The message I want to get to leaders who are listening to this is it takes courageous leaders to have these conversations. And it also takes a lot of vulnerability to change perspectives, And to stand up and to say that, hey, I want to change the way that we've been doing things. But in every instance I've observed, it's also been worth it.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Amal Masri. Thank you for everything you're doing. And I'd love you to come back in maybe a year when there's been more jump the rung programs and your organization has grown and there's more change positively that we can talk about. So thank you for chatting with me today on Breaking Brave.
1: Marilyn, thank you so much for giving myself and Fix the Broken Wrong this platform, but also creating a space where we can be brave and we can give voice to ideas and topics that might not be easy to talk about. So thank you so much for having me and for helping us tell the story of Fix the Broken Wrong.
0: Thank you so much for listening. For updates between episodes, I'd encourage you to join my mailing list, which you can do at either marilynbarefoot.com or BreakingBrave.show at most once a month, at least once a quarter. You'll receive an update on the latest resources, topics, and information I've found either super helpful or amazingly impactful. That's it for now. See you next time.